Um, right, should we start? Let's get going. Nice. What episode is it? 33, I think. 33. Am yeah, right? 33. Playlist says 33. Yeah, okay, cool. Okay, so everybody shut up. So, hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 33 of the Picky Bastards podcast. Uh, I'm Franz Slater. I'm here with the normal, boring Picky Bastards, Nick and Matt. Hello, Nick and Matt. I'm all right. How are you doing? You? I'm all right. I'm all right. Um, after yeah, finally getting my internet working. And we're also this week joined for our thirty-third episode by a maybe slightly more interesting bastard because you've never heard him before. <laughs> Welcome to James Spearing. Hello, James. Thanks, Brian, for that lovely introduction. I think it's doubtful he's more interesting. Yeah, I don't think he's he's more interesting, but we'll see. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> We'll see. We shall see. Um, so James is one of the editors on the Picky Bastards website, pickybees.com, and also I very briefly lived with him in a very mouldy flat, um, <laughs> which, yeah, do you want to say anything about that lovely flat, James? Uh, were you there when the squirrel was in the roof? I was not there when the squirrel was <laughs> in the roof, that. That was but the I did have... Thing that happened there, but yeah. I did have all those ladybirds when I moved in, do you remember? Oh, yeah, they never went. It was yeah. basically an infestation. I thought it was one ladybird that was just really active until I looked up and realised there was about 400 ladybirds in my light <laughs> shade. Just yeah, if you shut the curtains, it rained like dead ladybirds on your head. Yeah. Just to be clear, you were arguing that James is more interesting than the rest of us, yeah? Is that just to be clear on that? He's talking about a squirrel <laughs> as the start of the conversation. Okay, I'm like, well, what do you normally yeah, start with? A squirrel in the roof. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, actually, I find it quite a fun. <laughs> I think that's the most interesting thing we've ever started a podcast with, actually. So... Fair enough. Piss off, Nick. Stop arguing about that. Um, but anyway, we're going to introduce James. It's a while since we've had a guest. This is our first guest since going into lockdown. So, um, you know, we're trying out for remote work, remote workers, remote podcasters from their own homes. So we'll see how we go. But um, as we always do when we have a guest, we're going to ask a few questions to help you get to know James a little bit. You already know he likes squirrels. But <laughs> this is the important Dude, stuff. I can hate that squirrel. <laughs> left out of the cutlery drawer one day <laughs> now you're just making stuff up come on that's, that's 100% that's true oh, God, we could actually do a whole podcast about that flat and the landlords yeah. that never mended anything and yeah right. but we won't because it bore everyone apart from me yeah. and James um, okay James so we're going to ask you a few questions about music rather than squirrels so yeah, what was the first album you ever bought um, so I've had to think about this one because I was not aware at the time this was a significant life event. And neither should have been. was I aware that I would be asked about it on a podcast three, <laughs> three years later. <laughs> you're you're, you're think, setting up for the embarrassment, aren't you, basically? Yeah, you're <laughs> no, preparing no, no, us all. But on the, on the basis that it was on a tape rather than a CD, I think it was Urban Hymns by the Verve. Ooh, look at you. Okay. And I bought it from Tesco. <laughs> An actual I decent it having album. having the uh, Mercury Prize Album of the Year sticker on the front of it. Oh, on theme. Um, what did it lose to? Um, Anything. Was that 98? Yeah, 98. Don't know. Can't Don't remember. Know. We should know that by now. Yeah, we should have roll obsessed. But anyway, we'll look it up. <laughs> okay, so your favourite album of the last 12 months? Uh, I think I am going to go for Laura Marling, Song for mm. Our Daughter. Nice. Um, it's always good when you have some expectation and it is fulfilled possibly even exceeded um it was just just great there's not a bad song on there uh it was the first bit of vinyl that i ever ordered Ooh. well you haven't got a record player have you no not yet I'm building up to it it's coming um, in october yeah wow i'm gonna get it um, 
they, it's nice you pick one that i can't you know that you know i agree with as well because yes. you know me and you disagree on a fair bit of music when you've gone for one that you know i agree <laughs> with i think that's we'll save that for later why. on in the podcast yeah we'll disagree later Okay, so usually at this point we ask what your best gig of the last 12 months has been, but it feels like as we are, you know, five months into lockdown, that's not a very fair question. <laughs> so I wanted to ask instead, what's been the most upsetting gig cancellation due to lockdown for you? <laughs> so, well, technically I didn't actually have a ticket yet, because by the time <laughs> they, they cancelled Blue Dot, they hadn't actually released the day ticket, but theory I was definitely going to Blue Dot, so that was quite... Uh, disappointing what was on the what was thing. on the running order for that um yeah. so the main thing i was looking forward to on i think it was a saturday we intended to go or friday uh was rasheen murphy okay. she's been my must see list for a long time and she doesn't play very often so mm. um but if you're asking for gigs that have actually been moved um supposed to go see the big moon in october that's now march next year and then it'll be september next year <laughs> we'll see yeah, very we'll optimistic see. fran yeah no, I'm just I'm just having a lot of gig cancellations at the minute. So you know, and this this would normally be middle of my festival season. I would have been at a festival last weekend and, and a couple of weeks. So I definitely feel you on the blue dot cancellation, James. It's yeah, sad times. Yeah, okay, very cool. cheerful question. Hmm. A very cheerful question. Yeah, right. Yes. Absolutely. What's yours? What, what was your? What was? Should we just? Yeah, my. I don't know. I had too many cancellations. I don't want to talk about it. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. Final question to get to know James. What is the worst gig you've ever been to? Do you want an actual gig or do you want a festival? You can give us anything, whatever. So the absolute worst, um, I didn't intend to go and see them because it was at Reading Festival, uh, was Stained. Which is wow. You walked <laughs> past them on the main stage and it transpired that all of their equipment had broken and it was just the main singer guy with an acoustic guitar and no one could hear him and he was getting roundly booed <laughs> and pelted and shit from the audience. Amazing. Um, um, yeah, That's really good terrible. that nobody could hear him though, because anything worse, if you could yeah, have heard him, I, did I think. Kind of feel sorry for him because it was kind of out of his control, but um, we we didn't like him anyway. So, I think I liked one of their songs for about seven minutes when I was about fourteen. Wow! And then I think it I heard, it, heard it again, and I was like, ah, you know what? No, I don't like it in the end. But you know, could be worse. All right, cool. Okay, so we now all know James very well. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> we need we're to know move... person. We're going to move on. Um, so today we are talking about four recently released albums, one classic album, and then James is going to introduce us to an artist he loves. So I'm just realising I haven't written down all the names of the albums, so someone might have to help me out on one of them. Yep. I've got one of the recently released albums is Arca with Kick Eye. Is that how yep. we say it? That's right. One is MJ Cole with Madrugada, which I also don't know if I'm saying correctly. I think that's right. Um, one is... Quelle, Chris, and I can't remember the name of the album. And Chris Keys, Innocent Country 2. Innocent Country. And then we've got Bob Dylan's Rough and Rowdy Ways. The classic is Marine Girls with Beach Party. And then James is going to tell us why he loves um, Miles Davis, which is probably one of the biggest legends we will have spoken about on the podcast, I think, in terms of his profile. But okay, let's get into it. So, James, I'm going to go straight to you. Um, I'm going to ask you, which artist showed the most attention to detail on their album? Uh, so for this, I'm going to pick Bob Dylan on okay. Rough and Rowdy Ways. Possibly not in the way that you're expecting. Um, I think he's paid a lot of attention uh, to detail in how he's trolling the whole world with this album. <laughs> he's thought, I'm really, really old now. I no longer give a shit. And I'm going to write a 25-minute song about the death of Kennedy with nothing 
remotely modern or interesting to say. And for half of it, I'm just going to list songs that I want to hear. Don't make a playlist like everyone else. Don't just go play X song, play Y song. I just spat my water all over my computer. Thanks a lot, James. Don't break the master computer mid-podcast. Um, yeah, just what? I know Fran said before this, I'm going to try and pick Bob Dylan just to wind up James, but and this being the first album on the playlist as well, it made me just not want to listen to the playlist every time. I had to start with this. Just... I mean, every time we have a guest, I have to sort of teach them that they don't have to do that. <laughs> like, if you want to not listen to an album after you've kind well, of got yeah, to know I mean, it, I you don't have to listen every time. It's just, it's just an effort to get through it. And I thought, well, okay, uh, I'm going to reassure myself by reading some reviews online. And universally, it's getting 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10, 5 stars everywhere. And everyone's praising him for his lyrics and how visionary he is and how relevant <laughs> it is to the future and our times. Like, there's nothing futuristic about it. There's not a, re- a reference to anything past 1970 on the Howl album. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's just going on and on and on and on about the past. The only positive thing I can say about it is that he's actually given up the pretense of not being able to sing and just talks now. <laughs> he doesn't even bother with his stupid voice. He just can, I ask you, can I ask you, was he ever any good in your opinion? So, yeah, me and Fran had a quite a long debate about this yeah. over email, um, maybe about 10 months ago or something, um, with a sort of vague idea that we might write an article. It never really happened. I never put um, it into an article, so you just didn't have any, you didn't have any points. <laughs> no. <in everything. laughs> it was kind of a hard position to come from, because my sort of contention was that um, Dylan's the most overrated artist of all time, which I don't necessarily believe, but it was a good sort of motivator for a discussion, <laughs> I thought. So I do like like his sort of classics, you know, all, all the songs you know. Right. Um, and there's always been a bit of sort of mystique like, among the poetry of his lyrics. So I guess you're not supposed to be a bit impenetrable and not meant to know entirely what it's about. But that was a long time ago. Um, now he's just talking rubbish. He's just saying any old nonsense I can get away with. It's, it's like a messiah figure. You can't can't say a word against him. Like people just love him. That's the thing, the kind of thing I I was kind of getting at with that. Saying it's can't say a word against him yet. You've just gone on a seven minute rant. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's like you can't you can't say a bad word against him. It's it's like a cult of personality around him. Um, should I ask? Yeah, I could keep, I could keep going, but you've already said it's gone on for too long. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a good run. It was a good run. Yeah, you just can't say a bad word against him. I'm going to argue, before I talk about why, I'm, I'm going to argue with you on that point, though. I think he's, he gets a lot of criticism. I think it's there's quite a lot of artists like him who get that sort of, you're right, there's hero worship, definitely, but there's also a lot of people on the other side who feel like you do. I think he gets, he gets a fair amount of criticism as well, I would say. But... If you look at the reviews of this album, the universally yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to, yeah, I'm, I'm not. Gonna I have heard an awful lot of people love this album, yeah, from even from I my don't limited connection. Do you, you want to jump in, Nick? Sure, I can do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to me, um, it, it was. I was dreading listening to this album. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really <laughs> hard to separate um, the past kind of wonders of his musical history from from where he is today. Uh, and I really didn't want to hear how much the kind of the mighty have fallen. I just felt like it was going to be a tragic sort of listen. Um, and in the end, um, I think that was about right. The album is <laughs> is incredibly tired. It's just so tired. He sounds tired, and the music that accompanies him appropriately is itself tired. 
Uh, it just sounded very, very monotonous. Um, and I think that it was weakest on the louder songs, actually, where he tried to give it some oomph. I think that's where it really was apparent that he didn't have any energy to give it. Um, I don't know if he's actually trolling people. That might be overstated, James. But <laughs> in terms of in terms yeah. of that, he just seems he, he's obviously he's quite elderly. It's just it just seemed like it just came through that he was like on his last legs was kind of the impression he gave. He just was like just tired, exhausted, and just rolling through things in a very sort of passive way. I just didn't didn't get get with it yeah. at all. So I totally agree with that in terms of the actual the music as well. It's just. Mm like 12 bar blues after 12 bar blues it's like the laziest thing you can ever pick up a guitar and do yeah three Mm. chords same sequence over and over again really slowly yes totally agree Uh, that's why uh, false prophet and goodbye jimmy reed are two examples of the weakest songs on it i felt like they were just just again yeah as you say rolling through these very very traditional forms um i did like actually the opening song i thought that was okay and at that point i thought oh this might actually be all right um but then in the end that was just uh a bit of a a bit of a um, in a sort of a mixed bag, really. After that, it just sort of went downhill, and uh, yeah, I, I really didn't like it in the end. I'm afraid, sorry to say, because I, I also was a fan of the early stuff. Uh, yeah. I don't think I'm an absolutely diehard fan, but I certainly res- very much respect what he's achieved over his career. Um, but uh, he's, he's no longer doing the stuff that really matters to me. So yeah, that's it for me. Fair enough, Matt. Can I? Can I, yeah, I was going to say, I want to jump in there because I, I had a lot of the similar sentiment. I was actually, I've never listened to a Bob Dylan album before. What? So, That's so unbelievable. This, what? It's because he's only 12. That's why. Yeah. I like, I know all the, like the big hits and that, but I've never actually sat You've down. You've never listened to listen. Blonde on Blonde? Nah. Oh, so it, it might have been useful to do this as a classic, but I guess everyone, <laughs> or him as a classic, but everyone's listened to him already. So I guess I just need to do some music homework. I could do them as a while. I love it at some point, but um, do an album. Yeah. Anyway, that's, a, that's a later conversation. So, Let's hear what you thought of this one. So I had some, yeah, my, my expectations were all I've heard about him recently is he has a terrible voice. He um, <laughs> is an old man who shouldn't be making music anymore. And when I actually go into Nick's point, when I heard the first song, I was actually kind of excited because it was interesting. Um, besides the fact he was comparing oh, himself ridiculous. to Anne Frank at one point, which was weird. Uh, <laughs> but I did like the style of the song, the very bare, and, and uh, basically the fact he just ended up describing himself <laughs> as an arsehole. That was, that was cool. But yeah, then, then, like you say, it just turned into this like very boring blues, blues, blues rock kind of stuff, and it just felt very processional and, uh, yeah, music by numbers kind of thing. And I was, I was, I wasn't uh, too impressed. It wasn't necessarily as bad as I was expecting, but I was also had seen some of these reviews and was like, "This is not that." Mm. So yeah, yeah I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm staggered by the reviews. I totally agree. I don't, I don't know how they've come about. Gets this place where he's just so sort of beatified over this album, which is it is it is interesting because the last few albums haven't received that sort of um, feedback either. But I mean, was that? Do you have anything else you want to say, Matt? Well, I, I was just going to say, is this album that much better than the 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 previous couple? Is it just like Stockholm syndrome and people are just? <laughs> I mean, they're without re- giving away too much, what I think I do think this is better than the last couple of albums. Um, yeah. You can talk well, now, though, anyway, Frank. Go for yeah. it, why don't you? Yeah. Well, yeah. First, first, I want to start by saying 
I'm really sad that this is the first ever Bob Dylan album that Matt listened to in full. That yeah. that, that is upsetting to me because wow. it's your fault. Yeah, well, no, I, no, it's not. It's not my fault that you've spent the last thirty-two years not listening to any Bob Dylan albums. That's your fault. Um, it's actually 30, 31 years. However old you are, you should have listened to some Bob Dylan by years, now. Thirteen years, I think it is, isn't it? Um, and also, I want to worry with your parents about why you haven't heard any Bob Dylan albums. Um, but anyway, I'll start, as we all have sort of talked about the critical reception and the fan reaction to this album, I think people went totally mad. Um, it sounds like from this conversation that I'm the biggest Dylan fan here. Um, but mm. even I have to admit, like the most, the last few releases have had a lot more forgettable moments than they have highlights. They've all had a good couple of songs, I think, but usually, you know, it's been hit and miss. Um, well, these reviews, before I listened to it, this is why I wanted to put it on there, because, you know, everyone was saying it was the best thing he's done since the 60s. It was Dylan on top form. All there was, It wasn't just critics, though. There was fans all over social media posting pictures of themselves with the vinyl, getting really excited about it. So I think my expectations were really high. Um, and then I was quite underwhelmed, really. I think I enjoy the sound of it, but I do struggle to see what all the excitement is. I think I started to get it a little bit more over the month. I think... I don't think this album's going to win over any new fans. I really don't. I don't think it does anything new. I think with all the sort of excitement, I was expecting maybe he'd done a bit of a Bowie and changed his sound up, but that's really not what he's done. I think I think what fans and critics were celebrating was a kind of return to the story, storytelling that he was famous for. Um, and I think there are some really good moments in here. I like I've made up my mind to give myself to you. I like some of Key West, but it goes on too long. Um, I like a couple of the big band tracks. I don't mind False Prophet. I quite like Crossing the Rubicon. And then Murder Most Foul, which is kind of what everyone was going on about as the big one. Again, it's something else that I don't think is going to win any new fans over. But I think when I really spent some time listening to it, I did really get into that song. Um, but saying that, I don't think I'll really listen to it ever again. So, I mean, and I think that's kind of how I feel about the album as, as a whole, really. I'm impressed in a way, at a 70, he's a 79-year-old man and he's putting out an act. And he is, he does know he can do whatever he fucking wants and no one's going to, you know, question it. So fair play to That's him in a way. That's worse if he knows it. I don't think it is. I think, you know, he's 79, he's just putting some music out and I'm kind of fine with that in a way. But, you know, I'd, I'd quite like to go and see him perform this because I went to watch him a few years. I went to see him live a few years ago and it was good, you know. It was just Dylan doing some classics and it was enjoyable. I'd like to see him perform some of this, but I don't think I'll ever listen to the album again. So yeah, I'm not I'm not sitting here and saying I loved it, but I certainly think I liked it more than than you guys did. And also, um, I'm yes. thinking about compa- comparisons with reasonable comparisons would be like with other artists of that stature, like Bowie yeah. or yeah. Leonard Cohen. We did Leonard Cohen, didn't we? And that was, yeah. that was a much better album than this one. So. Yeah, Leonard Cohen has come back out. Yeah, you want it darker was fantastic, and I'm, I'm not, yeah definitely agree with that. I think Bowie's a difficult comparison because I think he was always changing what he was doing all through his career anyway. So it's not hard for him. It's not wouldn't be as hard for him to come back with something very different. Um, but yeah, totally agree. Leonard Cohen, the Leonard Cohen album definitely better than this. But, but yeah, I think that's that. I think I've got a question for Nick, which I'm wondering yeah. if it, his answer was going to be Bob Dylan from them's questions. But the the question is, which album felt the most thrown together? Uh, I'm going to go with Marine Girls. Um, Classic, yeah. And um, I'll say that this is relevant to say that I've spent a lot of time over the years in open mic nights um, watching... I know, I know it's kind of a roll of the dice when you go to an open mic night. You're going to get people who are sometimes great, sometimes really kind of blow you away, and others that are just really, really terrible. 
And all those people who go to open mic nights dream of being discovered, of being like getting us getting a deal. It was you know more or less obviously they really want to be found and do this you know become professional musicians. This album proves that there is no meritocracy in in that system at all. I mean, this sounds like a, the worst thing I've heard at like a tween only open mic. Like it, it's. It's as weak as anything I've heard on open mic, but it's actually a signed release, which I, I just find totally staggering. The guitar is the tone of the guitar is atrocious. It's the, the guitar sounds so feeble and like and just I don't understand. There's just no energy behind it at all. It feels like it's just collapsing all the time. The singing is really really weak. Um, the lyrics are really really weak. It's just it's across the board, really. A very very disappointing album, um, and I found it quite kind of whiny in tone, which I just found really irritating all the way through. So um, I, I found it difficult to get through the whole album in one sitting, which I had to do a few times, of course, for this. <laughs> but um, overall, it was um, it was not my favourite. Should I put it that yeah. way? Yeah, that's okay. what I want to say on that. Fair enough. I'm going to jump in because my thoughts are pretty similar and. Um, and I'm going to be quite quick. So like, I really don't have a lot to say about this album at all. It's like the prime example of an album that totally, totally washed over me. There's just nothing to cling to at all. It was like so minimal musically, and they really seem to be saying absolutely nothing in their lyrics. Um, every song sounds identical to me. Um, there are a couple of times... Very true. The only thing I can say is there are a couple of times when I get a sense of how they might have influenced some things that I like now like in a very very basic form things like goat girl i can see some remnants of that i was thinking goat girls well. yeah but but i'm honestly i'm grasping at straws for something to say when i say that i think um this is instantly forgettable i feel like if you ask me about the album by the time you record the next podcast i won't be able to tell you a single thing about it i think it'll just be gone out of my head so yeah, that's it. I, really. I will because I, I think to me it was actually more annoying than that. You know, what I mean, it was actually kind of really grated and also made me feel like some other people who are desperate to be in the music industry uh, are being robbed because yeah, well, this I kind think of person is in the music industry or has been. Yeah, I didn't get that angry at it because it just couldn't. I couldn't even cling on to anything to get angry about really. Um, but yeah, James, you, you picked it. Tell us what why. No, don't tell us, why. Tell us <laughs> yeah, what you thought. I was concerned having not listened to it before this whether it would be classic enough um, because it's a classic. But the two, the two things, it, um, like the credentials, if you like, that it has is one that, um, and this is how I first discovered it, I was reading an article um, and where it said that this was one of, supposedly one of Kurt Cobain's favourite albums. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, and the other thing that it's got going for it is it's uh, where the singer Tracy Thorne began. Um, you may not know that name, but you will know... Tracy Thorne, um, That's, she's yeah. in this band? Yeah. Wow, I didn't began. know that. She wrote all the songs. Uh, she played the guitar, and she. Well, I'll come on to the vocals in a minute. But did she really play yeah. the guitar though? Did anyone play well, that guitar? Yeah. <laughs> she sort of fell over yeah, it. She could have tuned it a bit better before she started as well. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she obviously went on to be in uh, everything but the, but the girl, uh, yeah. massive. And then um, she sang famously on Protection, Massive Attack, yeah. which I'm sure you're all familiar with. Mm. Yeah. So it's kind of I a starting point. Um, and it was. It's kind of in dribs and drabs where it does stand out but one of the main standout bits musically of this album was Tracy's voice and it's in no way consistent she's obviously 
you know, perfected it over many years of their career. But there are moments where it really, really stands out. I mean, it's a low bar with everything else that's going on on the on there. But <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the kind of one redeeming feature of it. Um, I, I, it's just so poorly realised. I mean, it, it was recorded in a bedroom. And that's why it sounds like it was recorded in a bedroom. <laughs> um, I think it's some of the worst ba- bass playing I've ever heard. It's not in tune. Yeah. It's out of time. It's like someone... <laughs> Yeah, whether in a bass room, in a bedroom or not, you can definitely tune the instrument, kind of. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, tallest man on earth makes all his all his albums in his bedroom, and they sound exceptional. So, I mean, I'm not buying that as an excuse for why this sounds so terrible. But um, yeah, I didn't hate it though. I mean, that, there's obviously a lot of things wrong with it. You can, but if you listen to it a few times, you can kind of get past it. I quite like some of the maybe the ideas in some of the songs. I thought the one, I mean, it's totally out of date now, but was this out in like 1983 or something? The one about the idea of flying over Russia and looking at the people below and kind of wondering what their life is like and how they feel. Well, that was quite interesting. Um, some of it's quite throwaway. It's just about like nights out and will this boy be there? Won't he be there? But that's kind of quite, you know, kind of fun and relatable in a way. If you think back to um, being that age, so it wasn't awful. Um, but I, yeah, it's not something I'm ever going to really go back to. It's just interesting mm. to kind of know about as a bit of a history, if you like, of someone's career and what they've come from and where they've, the heights they've achieved after this. I do think that's really interesting that Tracy Porter and I, I never would have picked that out because yeah. I, I think her voice is fantastic and she's been on some of my favourite songs. You listen to it again and really listen. There's only a couple of songs. I can't remember which one's it. Off top of my head do now, I have to listen to it again now that, just to hear yeah. that? Right, I'll listen to it again. I'll pick the song <laughs> that it does. her voice stands out when I send them to you. Okay, yeah, do that so I don't have to go through yeah. the whole thing. Don't just tell him that they do. Don't, don't even make him listen to the whole album again, any part of the album. Just say they do and yeah. just tell him they do and he'll believe you. Yeah, yeah. okay. Well, I'm right, right. I'm right. I'm right. Okay, fair enough. Matt? Um, so I, I think I'm a little bit more positive than all of you. I actually quite enjoyed a lot of the album. But oh. I, I totally see how you guys can see it. Like, it isn't constructed very well. It isn't recorded very well. Um, but I do <laughs> it think... It isn't written very well, isn't sung very well, yeah. <laughs> but I do think they convey through it just, like, the fact that they were having a good time. And it is a nice, like, um, atmosphere and vibe to have on, um, especially at the moment. It has a summary feel to it. And in lieu of being able to go and do anything summary, it, it was nice to have something that felt, like, uh, appropriate of the season. And... Uh, <laughs> I just think that's the best compliment for an album I've ever heard. Like, it yeah. goes with the sun. It goes quite well with the outside. But I think actually, as a comparison as well, like I I was really struck by the sound of it. Um, given I think uh, a lot of recent bands. I think I know you mentioned Goat Girl, but mm. for me, I, it had a lot of reminiscent of bands like uh, Girlpool and Heinz. Yeah, yeah, I did think of Heinz when I was listening because Kirsten's quite into them. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and I I actually, I played it to um, uh, Mary Claire, my wife, without telling her what it was and just asked her what year she thought it was from and she pinned it around 2013-14. And so I do think I can see why it has such a big influence and I do think that there was a resurgence of that sound more recently, uh, which made it really kind of interesting to, to listen to, to see kind of more uh, how where that kind of vibe came from yeah. and where the influence came from um, for for these bands. Because, uh, like, I hadn't looked back uh, with regards to those bands before. But, yeah, you are, it is, it's such a casual album. It when we, When you 
I have to listen to it over and over again and then talk about it on a podcast. It's it's hard to be... I, I don't think you can be as critical maybe with it because it is such a... It's not necessarily aiming for a big artistic achievement, right? It's just some people having fun. I'll just mention that I played it on three separate occasions in front of my wife, Jill, and she told me to turn it off on three separate <laughs> occasions. <laughs> No date range given, but just, you know, she just flatly said, turn it off. It's awful. <laughs> well, there you go. Okay. You go. So that's all of us, yeah, on Marine Girls. Yeah. So, Matt, last question. Which album do you think had the most to say? Um, I'm going to go with Arca and Kick Eye. Um, I think it's pretty obvious why. Um, I think straight from the get-go, um, like, she has a lot to say about... Um, gender, gender politics, and the way people um, perceive her, her. Um, and so, like straight from the straight from the like out of the gates with non-binary, and it, the I think the lyrics are I don't give a fuck what you think, you don't know me, you might owe me, but bitch, you'll never know me, and it just seems like one big fuck you, um, and so it definitely has the most to say in that regards. Um, it does continually seem to be just exploring how uh, gender um, is perceived and um, the kind of different archetypes uh, around that and the kind of rejection of um, what's kind of out there in the culture and an acceptance of themselves as well. Um, and I generally quite enjoyed this. I really like Arca as an artist. I've listened um, to most of... Uh, their albums um but i think the the thing with this album it did feel like parts of it were really fully realized uh, but then they're such they're so experimental um it just kept transforming the album as it went through and that kind of because it was continually transforming i found it really hard to just hold on to mm. and have an idea of what the album was um because it would be like one second you have this really shiny like synth pop and then the next second it's like this uh, weird glitched out electro and then there's like reggaeton beats underneath and then you've got really heavy industrial music and it's just sometimes all in one track and so sometimes it really really clicked and it, I think it really really worked um, like it, in the second track it sounds pretty much like a Robin album uh, like a Robin track it just was um, almost like the, that perfect pop perfection. Um, but then, yeah, I think it loses its way the deeper you get in the album, for me. Okay. Um, it kind of almost lost focus. But, yeah, I think I it's one of those things I liked it, but I also had really high expectations again because I'd seen some people posting about it and yeah. very excited um and so i i guess i was disappointed even though i did like the album okay okay james um yeah i pretty much agree with with most of that um it's uh, i don't know if you can define it as pop but i kind of maybe that's where you're at, my expectations anyway kind of sat with it mm. uh, so it's good to hear someone doing things that are a bit different a bit more out there a bit more experimental but then having said that the stuff uh, like the track you mentioned, Matt, that was like Robin. That was the kind of stuff that I found much easier to listen to. But I think, I guess it's meant to be 
challenging and you know starting off with non-binary and saying fuck you I don't care what you think just kind of doing the same thing through the music it's like I'm doing my own thing this is what my music is and uh you know some of it's like pop bangers some of it's way out there and but I don't care if you don't like it um so yeah it's, it's great to sort of hear that um I'd never heard of Arca before this um and then when Bjork pops up halfway through the album I'm like what the hell mm. like uh, yeah. so obviously um their influence is massive and I read up a bit and and they're a producer as well working with loads and loads of massive people so that's kind of where um they made their name I guess internationally yeah. um so that's where that comes in so that really took me by surprise um that, that it, it was that big a deal um but yeah um not really not really for me in terms of what I would go back and listen to but I would be interested to see them live because I think just listening to the recorded music is only really scratching the surface of what this artist is. There's so much more. There's a whole yeah. performance to that stage, yeah. costume. If you look at the visuals that go with this album, um, I, I bet the, the stage performance would be incredible as well. Um, so we're, we're really, really not doing it justice, I don't think, by just discussing recorded music. Well, I agree. Interesting, interesting. I mean, it is an album review podcast, so, you know. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a challenge for you, yeah. Um, Fran, why do you go? Okay, um, so my knowledge of Arca, a, a bit like James, I think I, I, I knew a bit more about Arca than James maybe, because when we covered FK Twigs in Nick's Why I Love section um, a while ago, we discussed Arca then, Arca produced that EP, is that right? I produced the album LP1. Yeah. Not, not that Melissa EP? No, not that much. No, sorry, okay. Oh, yeah, no, I think that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I'd heard a bit about about Arca, and I was quite excited to listen to it because, obviously, the CV is massively impressive. We're some huge, impressive artists, and I've only ever heard good things about Arca. So I tried really hard to give this album time and the space it deserves, but it just, honestly, it didn't break. It never really broke for me. Um, it, it felt to me like an album that was trying so hard to be interesting and different and it just ended up a bit all over the place um i found it very incoherent which i think sort of matt hinted at um i felt like the experimentation within it wasn't really that experimental or that interesting particularly and i think it's a shame because that's what arca's reputation is built on i also felt like the guests were kind of just thrown in because arca has these links with them um that said i did enjoy the track with bjork i think that was the standout for me um and I also liked the final two tracks of the album quite a lot. Um, but the rest of the features didn't do anything for me. And there were a couple of songs, um, Non-Binary and Rip the Slit in particular, which I just found quite annoying in the tone. And the um, which I know a bit of what you, you guys have both just said is that, you know, that it's meant to be quite challenging. Rip the Slit particularly, I just found really irritating. So, yeah, it wasn't really a big win for me. Um, but then I've heard nothing but positivity from other people about this album and I've seen loads of really strong reviews so maybe I'm just going to hold my hands up and say it's probably just one that's not for me really but then three of us have said some well no Matt liked it quite a lot I think but um, yeah. what about you Nick? So uh, I guess given that I've talked about FK Twigs in the past that you probably expect me to absolutely love this album uh, and mm-hmm. go completely crazy about it um, and I think um, in general that that's about right I, I really do I really do like this album a lot. I think oh, really? it has a lot of uh, really fantastic stuff. And I think I've listened to Arca's solo work before as well. 
Um, and I was a lot less impressed with that than with this one. Um, I felt like in that case, in those cases, I think there's two before this, um, they were didn't really gel in very coherently in a lot of cases, and it did feel like they were throwing ideas at the wall. In most cases through this album, um, you can hear the kind of unbelievable, uh, revolutionary kind of glitch and electronica and pop all slammed together and sort of driving through each other, and it just... It's really an album that, as, as Fran said, you need to give it a lot of time. Um, it deserves a lot of time because it's so so complex. Um, so I feel like it's this Archer is probably the most exciting, one of the most exciting artists of the last few years. It's so much potential in the album. However, um, I think there are some points in the album where there are some misfires, um, and I think mm-hmm. in general, as I think a couple of you hinted at. Um, the album tails off towards the end um, and starts to lose focus, as I think Matt said. Um, yeah. So I actually also wrote down Rip the Slit and La Chiqui, I think it is. Um, it's the song after Rip the Slit. We're both, uh, the one with Sophie on it, we're, we're just um, really quite grating and, and hard, to, hard to get through, honestly, which is really unfortunate because there's so many, st- so many tracks at the start, um, like Non-Binary Itself and, uh, is it Meke Trefe? Can't say that word correctly, probably. <laughs> um, but anyway, so there th- th- was there were really, really excellent stuff, really, really fascinating. Um, so it was a little bit unfortunate there were some things towards the end there that sort of marred it slightly. Um, but I think Arca now she she's really got to the point where it's no she's coming out of the shadow of a lot of other big people like Bjork and FK Twigs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like I'm, I'm thrilled to think what will come out next at, from this from from her because it's just such a. Um, a wild ride basically you know so so yeah i really really like this um and uh except for maybe three tracks towards the end were a little bit weaker but generally generally the really two like tracks it. at the end were the ones that i really liked so. well it was yeah. yeah it's actually just before those though rip the slur and the cheeky okay. were, were yeah, the ones yeah. that i really did not like okay. uh after that it was okay but I, I don't think the strongest songs were at the start they were, the strongest songs were in the first sort of up to the Bjork song, really, uh, was where yeah. it really, really carried itself very, very well. So, um, anyway, yeah, so no, I think I loved it. I just wish it wasn't flawed in the ways it is sometimes. Okay, cool. All right, that's that's all of us for Arca, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I think I'm, I'm going to kick us off with uh, MJ Cole uh, Madrigada, because I haven't started one yet. <laughs> so. with the pronunciations today, oh my God. <laughs> Madrigada, is that how Could I say be. it? Yeah. Could be, I don't know. Let's yeah. go with that. So... I think we all know I'm not massively into instrumental music. You know, that's been spoken about quite a lot in the podcast. I'm a lyrics man and that's usually my way into music. Um, but there are artists who, you know, who are largely instrumental that I do like, people like Fortet, Bonobo, Burial. Um, but for me to get into something in this kind of genre, you know, it has to be something really special. And this album, as far as I'm concerned, is very, very, very far away from being special. Um, I think it did manage to pull off one pretty impressive feat, though. I think without any words, it still managed to be one of the cheesiest and most sentimental-sounding records I've heard in the whole of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt to me like MJ Cole had been asked to make a soundtrack for one of those terrible Channel 4 documentaries about patients in A&E or people giving birth. It's like each song felt like it was made for the moment when they, you know, they saved someone's life and everyone's hugging and holding hands. <laughs> So yeah, I thought that was quite a feat. Um, other than that, though, I don't really have anything to say. Um, I didn't miss lyrics on this one because I feel like they would have been absolutely terrible if they'd been there. Um, it was just so cheesy. It was so overblown. And I think the, the songs I've chosen as like, examples of how, how overblown and cheesy it was were the first song, A Visit to Lolita, 
Cathedral and Dizzy New Heights. I just thought, yeah, it. I thought it was a really, really dire album. Um, dire. Yeah, that's wow. Me. Yeah. Dire. First time we use that word in the, in the podcast, I think, possibly. Wow. Yeah, it's just, yeah, cheesy, sentimental crap. Anyone else? Who wants to go? <laughs> yeah. uh, I could go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, I think at, at its best, this album is. I found it quite moving, and I thought I, I didn't find it as cheesy as you suggest. Do you watch all. lots of um, programs like Born Every Minute, and do you watch A and E programs a lot? I, I actually, I actually don't know. Are you Sorry, into those kind of soundtracks? Yeah, no, not not really. No, but I did, I did think it was extremely delicately put together, and I think you had to listen very hard to because it was so quiet at various points, and that made it feel like you were connected to it quite uh, almost intimately, almost. So I actually liked the opener. Visitor Lolita, and then I thought, uh, what's the other one I really liked? Far Closer, the second one. Um, there were um, some points where it, it drifted into what I might refer to as classical music light, uh, you know, like a kind of diet version of classical music, which I, which was, mm. which was mm. a bit a lot more like kind of um, what somebody who doesn't play classical music thinks classical music sounds like, which is which is unfortunate. <laughs> like, like Knocking uh, is a good example, which I think is the f- fourth or fifth track. Um, is is you know just sounds does sound cheesy in the way I think Franz Hint is suggesting, but I, I don't think it's nearly as extreme as, as he does. Um, I think the other problem it had as an album was I thought the verb on it, the reverb on it was was much too heavy-handed at times. Uh, there's there's a song solo waltzer which is so drenched in reverb that it's hard to pick out certain points in it, which I think is a pity, and also gives this risks it becoming exactly what Fran has suggested it has become, which is is, is a kind of cheesy, schmaltzy kind of t- tone. Uh, it doesn't need that, I don't think, and it would have been nice. So you're saying I'm closer. right, yeah? That's I'm, saying, you're saying. I'm saying you're on on a sliding scale. You're, you're, you're not on the wrong scale. It's true <laughs> that it gets cheesy at times, but it's okay. nothing like, it's not dire at all. It's got some really beautiful moments, um, and I think it, it's something I will come back to, and I have played it quite a lot over the last month. Uh, with the exception of a couple of the tracks that are too reverby and uh, occasionally too sort of smooth to be for okay. my taste, so yeah, um, yeah, that's all I had to say. Matt, cool. Um, I, I, to me, this was uh, kind of up and down. There were songs that um, did have enough richness and emotion in a, a good sense, not a cheesy sense, to actually draw me in and make me engage and were really interesting. Um, and then there were some that just were nothing happened for me. Um, but most of the songs I've actually written down as ones I liked have been uh, criticized at some point. <laughs> <laughs> So actually, my favourite song, I think, was Cathedral. I thought it actually built in a really beautiful way. Um, and then I also really liked Knocking as well. But mm. I think the mo- the main reason I liked Knocking is there was, uh, there was a noise that I couldn't discern in the background that reverberated. That was really... the Knocking, I think. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just, for some reason, I really liked that specific noise. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, but yeah, generally, like um, I think often like music like this gets classed as like easy listening or ambient or something like that. But I did think it had a really nice atmosphere um, that was transportative, and I thought it was a very nice. Uh, I don't want to use the word nice. I think it was really worthwhile listening to it and really worthwhile um, engaging with it. Um, and it it 
it was good for me to listen to. I think it helped my mental state in, in at times. So I, I, uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, maybe exactly. you can put it, when they make a documentary about you, Matt, we'll, we'll use this as the soundtrack. <laughs> oh, the, the inevitable Matt documentary. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I'm not sure I'm going to listen to it again, to be fair. Yeah, don't. <laughs> um, James? <laughs> so I, I like this a lot, actually. Um, I'll pick up what you just said, Matt, about the funny noises in the background. There's some moments where he's recording the piano and it's so, so quiet. You can hear the sort of inner workings of the piano clunking away. Yes, and, totally agree. Um, I yeah. guess um, in some sound engineers would be absolutely horrified by that, but I actually really appreciated that because it's really sort of real and it makes you feel really close um like you're almost in the little room or whatever he recorded it in um uh, yeah the, the word beautiful has been used a few times i'd certainly concur with that um and i think what you know it, it's kind of got a bit of a mixed reception i think that's quite fair because it, it is it does border on on the cheesy if you like sometimes especially when it gets to more the more orchestral stuff away from the more sort of intimate stuff um so fran Fran's sort of um, vision of it was uh, these hospital documentaries. Mine was um, adverts for banks. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine like the, the, the black horses running along the beach. Oh God, I hate that. I don't know so Some of this. Um, but that's probably about the worst thing I could say about it. I, re- I found it really nice. Um, and for me, the way I was listening to it, because I don't know if any of you uh, are familiar with MJ Cole from before, but he's no. known for being a, a UK garage producer. Oh, really? Um, he had two albums out at the sort of uh, turn of the century, and they were both sort of garage albums. Uh, and I know those from my uh, illicit garage past. Um, <laughs> and so come into it with that mindset and then hearing him do something completely different. I really appreciated it from a different angle. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm coming from. Did you know um, that it was I, going to be something different when you came to it? Did no, you know? I didn't. I didn't no. know about it. It came out. It's not strictly sort of super new, but it, it came out the same day as um, Laura Marling's album. Okay. Um, and I took it by surprise. A friend might message me about it, say, oh, this is out. Um, give it a listen it's a bit different to what he's done before mm. and I actually found myself listening to it more that weekend than I did uh, with the Laura Marling that's not going to carry on um, <laughs> but it's something I'll definitely come back to mm-hmm. um, but because he's coming from that sort of dance music background um, there were some hints of electronic stuff in there and what's coming next is a remix album of the same song so that might be quite uh, possibly even better from some aspects to listen to than, than this if you didn't like the sort of classical music light or cheesy moments it might be more people's cup of tea uh listen to that album so i think you pick on you pick on something really good james about the the sound of the hammers on the piano i think that was exactly what i meant about the delicacy i thought that i thought that really and it was very clear because it was so compressed so it just sounded right in your face you know it was brilliant yeah i I love that part of it that was off the first track in particular most notably i think yeah yeah um the lisa is it yeah the worst song (laughs) Um, okay so we're left with the Kelly Chris and the other person whose name I didn't write down Chris Keys Chris Keys Innocent Country 2 who wants to start us off James do you want to start us off on this one yeah Um, I was going to pick up something that that you mentioned at the end of the last podcast when you announced it was coming on uh, too many Chris's yeah Um, not just (laughs) too many Chris's just just too many people I quickly lost track of who was rapping who was doing what on this album um (laughs) So it was a bit bewildering in that aspect. But other than that, I did actually quite enjoy it. Um, I think it's got a lot of, uh, in terms of the production, and I don't know if it's sampling or whether it's original music or that sort of jazzy piano stuff. Um, it's got a big debt to Dilla, I think. 
um, who I've only recently discovered and really like. So from that point of view, I'm really into that. Um, and it's the sort of thing that puts me off um, hip hop type albums a lot is one, the, the skits, because they're just pants. And two, um, when I don't really like hip hop when it gets really aggressive and in your face. That's not my cup of tea. So this being quite a chilled out, relaxed, groovy album, I really like that. But then having said that, it was kind of almost too relaxed. There wasn't mm. enough variety on the album as a whole uh, for me to fully engage with it. But on the whole, pretty positive about it. Um, I like this quite a lot. And it surprised me as well. Okay, cool. Who wants to jump in? I Nick. can. I can, yeah, yep. sure. Yeah, go so um, I was a big fan of Guns, Quelle Chris's previous album, um, which I don't know. Did we do one of... So that that was really good. But this Guns album, the, the last one to this one, I, I really, really loved. Um, and I think um, uh, this album is, although I realise there's another con- collaborator as well, but this album is also very, very strong in many ways. And, and it, I think it's it's got a few bits of sort of fluff that don't need to be there. But in general, I, I was I was really, really compelled by it. Um, I think it's musically very, very beautiful, actually. Um, I think it's probably some of the most delicately kind of crafted backing track I've heard on a hip-hop album, um, like Living Happy and what's the other one? Graphic Bleeds Out, is that a track? Yeah, that's one of the tracks in there, yeah. So um, that, that those two songs and several of the songs had such beautiful loops and samples um, and so well put together with, I think, some live instrumentation too. It really just, um, yeah, it was it was quite um, it was a very delicate album, and as I think as as James implied, it wasn't it wasn't sort of super aggressive at any at any point really. Um, it reminded me of the production on to Tim, Butterfly actually uh, to some extent. Um, I think Chris, no, which Chris? Well, like Chris's flow is from the first from the Guns as well. is is fantastically it's consistent and fantastic. It's so witty and clever throughout. Um, the track Black Twitter, for example, um, is is so clever about all these references to black cultural references all the way through, which which I think was played plays so cleverly around the ideas. I thought it was really really great. Um, the minor downside was there were I didn't think it started brilliantly. Like the the opening the intro recap thing was kind of irritating. I had to skip that almost every time once I got used to listening to it. And then the the long voicemail sort of joke on the end of outro, honest, the second song was also kind of grating. After a while, I, I kind of got the gist of it quite quickly, and I didn't need to hear it many times. Um, but yeah, overall, I I really really like this, and I, I'll keep following it and both of them in the future. Okay, I'm going to jump in because my points are almost it. exactly the opposite to Nick's, so I think it's a good sort of um, point of comparison. I mean, I've listened to several Kelly Chris albums now. Um, I kind of like the one he did with Jean, Jean Grey, but honestly, I thought I like what I liked about that album was her um, more than him. He his work on his own just doesn't really do it for me. Um, that doesn't change here. I find his flow actually quite disappointing. And interesting what Nick's just said about the beats, because I find the beats quite weak. Um, Black Twitter, for me, is the particular example of the beats being an issue. I think they sound like something you'd get on a keyboard if you press one of the preset tunes on this song. Um, oh, come on, that is too harsh. I just don't yeah. think it's at all interesting musically. And I think what? Sudden Death, again, oh, yeah. I found that to sound like a theme tune to a terrible sitcom. Sudden Death was my favourite. Um, and I think that kind of ties into my main issue with a lot of Kelly Chris's stuff, actually. Is I think he talks about some important stuff, but 
I find his beats quite wishy-washy usually and also I think there's always a desire to be funny when I don't actually find him very funny so I think it's that kind of funny hip-hop is good but yeah you have to find the person funny and I don't find him very funny or witty particularly um I think the song Sacred Safe is the one real highlight of this album for me I think it's kind of got a great traditional hip-hop beat I think it's really driving and I think the first guest on that song and I'm not sure who it is but he has an amazing dynamic flow that just really picks the album up for a little bit. And I, but I think that highlights what's missing from the rest of the album for me. I think it's then followed by the very slow, very plodding horizon, and we're back to just the general feel of the album. Um, so it's kind of what I expected, because um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of his. Um, it didn't grab me, I'm afraid. Matt? Fans are, fans are wrong. Yeah, fans are wrong. so out of order on that one. <laughs> I think... Uh, Kelly Chris is becoming one of my favourite um, hip hop people. He just I've the past three albums, and I agree. Guns was fantastic, yeah. and Everything's Fine was also fantastic. And there are a lot of skits, but I think they are funny. I think the ridiculously overblown start it's so dramatic, and it just gives way to this just incredibly chilled like piano and like laid back um song is just perfect because it is just them playing this giant trick almost um i th- i think it, to to draw a comparison that uh maybe you won't appreciate because you didn't like the album this for me it feels like a similar vibe of uh as marine girls where you have these group of friends they're hanging out, they're having fun and playing around, except these guys are actually... Um, Making an effort? Well, they're competent at this point. They're not at the start of their career. They know what they're doing. They know how to make an al- album, and it, and they can produce it while also um, having fun and conveying that uh, feeling through the music itself, um, which is, is an, an achievement, I think. Um and so, yeah, all, all in all, I just, it, it's, it's like a long album, but because of the sentiment and because of what's going on, and they have all these guests, um, but none of them really detract. They just keep the pace and keep you moving along. Um, so, I, yeah, I really enjoyed that, even, even with it being so long. Plus, I, I still get caught off guard because James Acaster's in it, and that's really weird to me. What is he? he? What? He's also in Guns. Yeah, he does, really? He's in the. He does some of the um, uh, like speaking parts. Mm, okay. At the beginning. There you go. Is that you? That is me. It's okay. Great. Cool. So that's us. We've just got the um, Miles Davis left, but let's talk about the playlist as a whole. How did we feel, James? It was your first podcast, your first playlist. How did you find the playlist as a whole? Um, yeah, a bit of a mixed bag. Um, obviously. Disliked Dylan quite a lot. Uh, Marine Girls <laughs> there had good points. Uh, about half and half, I guess. Did okay. you, which, was your, which was your standout? What was your favourite album? My favourite album, either MJ Cole or Kelly Chris. I'm gonna I'm gonna make you commit to one. Uh, <laughs> MJ Cole. Okay, cool. Matt. Uh, yeah, mixed bag. I. It was interesting to have for me like a lot of sim- like very diverse music with a similar vibe for mm. me. That's the way I felt about it. Um, 
they all had really there was a bunch with really good atmosphere and vibe throughout um but there was bob dylan and <laughs> there were other albums that i was expecting more from but kelly chris is yeah i'm gonna keep listening to that kelly chris is your favorite yeah same for you nick i would say um yeah i would say the chris as well kelly chris, the chris's we'll say that should we um yeah. yeah and i would say overall um this was a really good playlist, I felt like, compared to a lot of the ones we go through. I mean, there's only one album I found actually offensively bad, uh, Marine <laughs> Girl. So the Dylan was okay. I got through it, you know. Um, and then three three good albums, two of which, you know, Pele and, and the Arco, I thought were really great. So, uh, yeah, no, that's. I thought overall it was one of the stronger players we've had in the last few cycles. Wow. Stronger than the last one? Which we all... Uh, trying to remember now. What do we have on the last one? I mean, yeah, stronger than the last one. Yeah, I think the last one I said was my favourite playlist we've ever had. Yeah, yeah but I, I, I only, yeah, um, the only thing I really liked on that was was Run the Jewels. Uh, yeah. And I looked sure I liked a lot, of course, but yeah, still, that's not enough. That's not as much as here. So I'd say this yeah. is a better playlist. I think this is one of the weakest playlists we've ever done. Um, <laughs> definitely. And the only album that I had any takeaway from was the Dylan, and I didn't really love that. So, yeah, not a big one, not a big one for me. Wow. Unfortunately, but anyway, let's move on. So, James, it's time for you to tell us about Miles Davis. Yeah, Miles Davis. You gave him a big, big uh, trailer back there. One of the biggest legends you ever had on. <laughs> as, as a name, as a name, yeah. like he's you know he's everywhere, isn't he? So I think he's yeah, certainly he's um, a big, a big name. But weirdly, he? like not you know, I suppose a big name, but not one that everybody will be massively familiar with the music of. I suppose. Yeah, so it's true. quite I interesting. Kind of why I, I picked it when it. Mm. Uh, well, I wanted to talk about it and hear what you guys think, obviously, and um, yeah, just to sort of gauge where where you all sat with it. So yeah, very very well known jazz musician, but um, something that I've, I've certainly written about uh, in places on on the on the website um, is about how people's idea of jazz versus what I see Miles Davis as is totally opposite. Mm. So if I was ever going to pick anyone to change your mind or to introduce you to jazz, it would be Miles. I kind of think that's how it, it went for me. Um, so whenever I was starting to learn music, started to learn the piano as, as a kid, um, I was very sort of obstinate and didn't want to do grades. So classical music was out at that time. Um, so we looked at other stuff like uh, pop, rock, jazz. Uh, so there's kind of two names that always came up at that time in the jazz side. One being Herbie Hancock, which made sense for me as a pianist. And he plays on some of uh, Miles' albums as well. Uh, and then also Miles Davis. Um, such a long, long career, always pushing the boundaries, always staying at the forefront, never standing still, was doing really interesting stuff, really, really influential. Um, and yeah, you know, there's a reason Kind of Blue is uh, many people's intro to him. It was for me because um, it's so accessible, it's so melodic. There's no egos, there's no ridiculous virtuosity putting your skill uh, ahead of actually making good music so if you listen to the improvisation on that album kind of blue you know you can sing along to it there's, there's, there's such an emphasis on melody um it's just so so accessible and so so interesting um i don't know if any of you have seen the miles davis film it's on iplayer at the minute it's called the birth of the cool i've not it's seen really, it really oh, interesting that. really interesting story um and, you know, he kind of come out of it thinking, actually, he wasn't just this sort of famous jazz musician. He was a rock star. You know, he had everything he had. He was in the 50s. He was in Paris. He was hanging out with 
French actresses and Picasso and Sartre. Mm. You know, he had you know he had drug problem. Um, you know, he was had all the all the, the glamorous women back in the states. Um, he sort of realised the, the potential of rock music because I'm, I'm done with playing um, six nights a week, seven nights a week in um, jazz clubs in Harlem and getting paid nothing. I'm going to become a rock star, mm. and that's what he did. Uh, there's a story about how he bought a yellow Ferrari uh, just uh, just so he could turn up at one particular <laughs> gig. So he drove up outside in his yellow, bright yellow Ferrari, knowing the press would be there, got out with his trumpet, went in and played the gig. You know, it's just an amazingly sort of cool guy. Um, <laughs> and he, he knew what he was doing, you know, in, in, in that sense. But yeah, always, always wanted to try and do new things. So I probably prefer the earlier stuff um, in his career. And the, the songs I, I chose on this playlist reflect nearly, uh, I think, six out of the seven, or at least six of them anyway, reflect the actual albums that I own. And they're very much in the earlier days, sort of late 50s, early 60s. Um, but even then, he was still doing different stuff. So he was doing some sort of blues-based bebop stuff. Then he got into more modal jazz. Um, and then he was doing um, sort of, kind of like orchestral stuff. There's a guy called Gil Evans he worked with. He was this sort of orchestrator, conductor guy. Um, so there's albums to get us to Spain. So he's exploring um, European Spanish classical music, but playing it through a, sort of the mind of a, a jazz trumpeter who's grown up in uh, segregated uh, America. So bringing those sort of two worlds together and the result you get is, is incredible. Um, you absolutely love his tone as well. It changes uh, at one point, I think. Sort of, uh, I think I put Milestones as the first track on here because he doesn't play with the mute. But I think every other um, track on here, he does play with the mute in his trumpet. So you hear that difference in tone. Um, but yeah, just the, the, the noise he makes with the trumpet is just incredible. It, it doesn't sound like anything else. It's only can only ever be him. It's so unmistakable. Um, yeah, I, I, what else can I say? I can go on. Um, I, I love it. And it's not took me by surprise when I was going back through my CD collection, as I did at the start of lockdown, just how many albums of his I, I owned. I didn't really realise. Mm. And even maybe the six or seven I've got, that really only scratches the surface. He's got tens and tens of albums. And the period that, of the albums that I've got, it really only scratches the surface of the kind of stuff he did as well. You know, um, it's the forefront of sort of, and this is where I start to lose interest a bit, sort of jazz rock fusion. Mm. Um, bit of a dirty word now. I put one track on there <laughs> um, off Bitches Brew because it's that, the beginning of that era um and it's, it's it's known as a really really influential album um you sort of think about kind of prog rock and stuff and the way that it kind of influenced that um his his, his, his influence just goes way way beyond mm. just other jazz musicians and the sort of ensembles he he um he created for each album or each sort of performing um group be a quintet or quartet or sextet or whatever it may be he always goes, he was kind of kept people the same age. So he kept getting older and the musicians kind of stayed the same. So he was always mm. getting these fresh ideas. And so many of these names who are unheard of, these pianists, these saxophone players, other than maybe Coltrane, who's another massive name for saxophone player. Um, but yeah, if you look at who's playing on the albums, they're all gone on to be massive in their own mm. uh, jazz careers in their own right. So we're really bringing these talents forward and it's helping to him keep him pushing things forward as well. Um, so yeah, just a great... Um, Legend, as you said, really interesting guy, really innovative and really, really accessible to someone who doesn't know or doesn't think they may not like jazz. Kind of Blue is the, the absolute go-to album. I think it still is the best-selling 
jazz album of all time. Yeah. Big claim. All right. Who do you want to go to? Yeah, uh, let's go to Matt. What did you think of Miles? Um, I I loved it. I I think uh, I really like the playlist you put together. It's interesting to hear. Like I I know not really nothing um, about him, um, and it was interesting to hear that this was all early stuff because it did feel like massively diverse. Mm. I liked the way that we had this like very trumpet forward first song. Um, which really seemed to just introduce him. And then you got some more traditional uh, jazzy stuff, which I could have heard in like a jazz club here where you're passing it between the different players. Um, and then we get to like Will a Wisp with the kind of uh, Spanish influence. Um, and then the completely different uh, Lighter Tracks. Yeah, Will a Wisp was my favorite, I think. And um, it felt almost like a Western. It's just, I was, yeah, I was really kind of blown away about how diverse his sound could be and to have that happening over a, a single decade, um, I think it's uh, really impressive. I think, uh, yeah, for me, it was just a, it was music that kind of wore many hats. It could fit my mood irregardless of my mood. Um, and so that was, uh, it was, yeah, that was really nice to listen to. And so I'm definitely going to try and actually listen to one of his albums in full um, and and see what it's all about. I feel like you've got a strong recommend what album that should be from what James said. So Yeah, maybe I'll yeah. start with the best jazz record ever. <laughs> best selling. But yeah, it's, it's held in high regard. But yeah, the, the last yeah. two tracks on there, John McLaughlin and Black Satin, were more in his sort of electronic era, which I'm kind of less familiar with and, and less interested in not because it's lack of innovation, but it's just, especially Butcher's Brew, it's just so sort of up yourself, if you like. And I pitched John McLaughlin because, just by default, because it's by far the shortest track on that album. Miles doesn't even <laughs> yeah. play on John McLaughlin, yeah. it's just a guitar track. Um, but like, <laughs> the stuff that he does play on that album, the like 25-minute uh, solos, so I just I thought it was best to leave that off. Um, yeah. I'm not really into that stuff either, so... And then Black Saturn's a bit more interesting. It gets a bit more of a world music, funky vibe. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was interesting to hear so much, uh, like, when you think about jazz, you think about very classical, traditional instrumentation, and to hear yeah. all these different instruments, uh, I was just, like, uh, not what I was expecting. All right, I'll jump in. Um, so, yeah, it's, it was really interesting to listen to you talk about him, and I don't know a lot about Miles Davis. Um, watch the film. I, yeah, I will watch Great. it, actually, I think, because, like... I love those kind of movies anyway, you know, like the um, Ray Charles movie and that kind of thing. I, I'm always into watching about musicians' lives. So I think it's, it would have been really interesting for me to have maybe had seen that and heard what you said about him before listening to the playlist, I think, because for me, it isn't a genre that I'm really, really familiar with. And it is something that I find a little bit hard to get a hold of sometimes. Um, but I know how influential he is. And you, you've mentioned a few genres of music that he's influenced, but actually... I also know he's been really influential to hip hop music. Yeah. Um, I know that a lot of the musicians I love, um, Tupac's the big example I can think of. You know, he, Tupac much mentioned him in at least one song on every album, like he was obsessed with Miles Davis. So, and I think that's what's interesting to me about Miles Davis is as a cultural figure in a lot of ways, because all the stuff you're saying about him there, we're also got to keep in mind what era this was happening in. When he was pulling up in a yellow Ferrari, it was, 
like what era was that in? It was you know before civil rights era and stuff, wasn't it? So it's I think that was a bit later. Than that was like seventies when he started. Okay. You realised you could earn more money from rock music. Okay. Rather okay. than playing in jazz clubs. But still, it's a huge thing for him to be, you know, as a as a black artist. You know, that's oh, that's yeah. amazing. So I think I'm really interested in him as a person, um, but I'm, I am woefully unknowledgeable about this genre of music. I still I know he's a pioneer of it, and I enjoyed, you know, I probably enjoyed this most of anything on the playlist. I enjoyed listening to it, but it's not saying a lot when, you know, I felt the way about most of the rest of the playlist. And I really appreciate having listened to him. I mean, I think maybe I'll maybe I should give the album a go. Um, maybe that would help me grab onto it a little bit more because I think sometimes I'm an album person, so it kind of you know. Really interesting character, <clears throat> interesting playlist, but I'm not saying that I, I loved it because it's kind of just something that I still probably need to learn about before I can really get into the music. But yeah, that's about all I had to say, really. What about you, Nick? Uh, yeah, so for me, um, it's, a, it's kind of a two-sided uh, story, I suppose. Um, musically, I, I really enjoyed it, and I think um, it's so complex and intricate all the way through, Um that it really, um, but it doesn't, at the same time, it doesn't sort of, most of the time, it doesn't sort of lose you in just a sort of shredding it guitar solo equivalent. You know, it's not like like Steve Vai or something or Joe Satriani just playing endlessly for no particular reason except to attest to how good they are. It seemed to have some musical value all the way through, which I really enjoyed. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm really glad I got, in, I got to hear it. Um, for me, the other side of it is is a kind of, Honestly, a personal response, which is a kind of sense of sadness when I heard it, which is I um, just in myself, I've played guitar for many years. I've worked in recording studios and stuff like that. So, I, you know, I, I know some stuff about music. When I listened to this, it made me feel really incompetent, um, <laughs> really like there's so little that I, that I understand about music still after this 25 years, maybe of, of playing and writing and whatever. Um, and obviously, I was—I've been into—I was very much influenced by lo-fi, so that's not—that's about as far away from this as you can get, you know. So in that sense, it's not that surprising. But still, it just made me feel like, wow, there's a whole world out there that I'm not even close to to um, you know getting to hear, and I'm already an old man, as Fram will always tell you. So, um, so yeah, so I, I want to get into more of it. I want to hear more of it. Um, I will uh, take your recommendation, James. Um, and uh, and I'll also watch that movie because I would I would like I like that kind of movie too. I will say that the, the only other the only whether you like him or not, just that kind of film is just the right. Yeah, to delve into the lives. Um, yeah. The only other jazz musician I've ever um, been interested in was when I was a lot younger. I really liked Charlie Parker actually for a while, um, and I know he is a precursor, isn't he? Am I right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and I really liked um, in, in most of the tracks that were more slow slower moving actually and more delicate um the mild stuff in some not not all these cases but some of these cases was very um you know complex and layered and stuff so it takes more time to get into that for me so but yeah no so overall i'm really pleased i got to hear it and um i did enjoy it but uh it also made me cry inside at the same time <laughs> yeah. i think you'd be uh, i just swear sorry you go James. Yeah, I think you'd be interested in Nick in the film as well, like the, the absolute speed they recorded albums as well. Oh, yeah? So I think in, in the late 50s, he was had to get out of a, a record deal, and he had four albums still on that deal because he wanted right. to go to Columbia. Right. Um, right. And he, they recorded four albums in like two weeks or something crazy. <laughs> so and all the recording. 
because yeah. studios were so inaccessible in general because they were so unbelievably expensive even by the standards of today that it was it was people had to fight to get the space you know they had like here's yeah. 45 they minutes they weren't to in record. there developing the songs yeah exactly the song. they like, do the song they yeah. perform them every night they go in there record it as live yeah. improvise, done, <laughs> on like two mics or whatever yeah, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's a lot about that in the Johnny Cash film as well isn't it like the studio has been sort of you know having to find your way into the mm. studio and having to like yeah. Yeah. find a way and then quick, really quickly record your music because you know you don't have the same freedom that people do these days I suppose yeah, yeah. which is why although just as a digression when people complain about how everyone can do music now and it's all just a you know a melee of people writing crap music I, I feel like actually that's, it's a lot more egalitarian than it was I mean mm. you know, Miles Davis had, had some kudos to get in there and get some time but even he as you can see had to rush through stuff you know so yeah. uh, it's not like he had he couldn't book the studio for six months you know like when the Beatles did and stuff like that you know so yeah mm. anyway that's a digression I've got another, another brief digression for us so I'm I'm really interested in this thing with with jazz because I wouldn't say I'm someone who doesn't like jazz and like there's a couple of albums that you know have come on the Mercury and I've seen live like things like Sons of Kemet and stuff like that that I've really enjoyed but, but no but this is the thing I'm, I'm talking about an issue with me here this is my issue and I want I'm I'm wondering how I get past it like I always just look for the stuff with the lyrics in it when I get an album like that like the Sons of Kemet the stuff that I really love on there is the stuff with lyrics and. It's interesting what Nick was saying. This is what made me think about it: is that you managed, you were hearing a story, Nick, in these songs, or you were hearing like a a journey that yeah. maybe I wasn't getting, and I struggled to get without lyrics. And I just, I don't know why. I'm hoping you can all tell me how to get over it. Basically, that's what I'm asking for some <laughs> advice on how I turn your brain off. Turn your brain off. The music carry you instead. I, never I, I would actually say, I would go the other way. Actually, Matt, I would I would spend more time with it because I think actually when you get through the intricacies of it enough. I started to recognise phrasing that came back from before, yeah. uh, you know, things that had swashed over me on the first few listens, you know, and so that was actually so in the sense I would say you have to focus more, not less. But I mean, I can see I can see your point, Matt, at the other side yeah. of the coin, you know. Yeah, go both ways at the same time. <laughs> so I'll switch my brain <laughs> off and, and turn my brain on. Exactly. I'll do both of those things. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Good advice. Try both and see and report back. <laughs> <laughs> If he's not okay. in a consistent vegetative state, you will anyway. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. <laughs> My first effort is going to be to try the album, because um, yeah, I'm an album yes. person. But we'll see how we go. But yeah, no, I I did enjoy listening to it though, James, and thank Ooh, you for bringing you. it to us. Yeah, Sounds like everyone's got a fair bit out of it. Please. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Good job. Cool. Well, I think that's us. So thank you, James, awesome. for coming Thanks on. Me. It's good to finally have you on. It would have been earlier without lockdown and everything. We've been planning to get you on for a while, but obviously things change but yeah good to have you on and uh, yeah so next time we will be back um, with Sam who's guest, who's another editor on my site has been a guest before and we're going to be looking at the Mercury Prize shortlist and arguing about which ones we should win and which ones we hate and stuff so we're not going to go through that whole list now because it's 12 albums but google it that's my <laughs> advice yeah so, so yeah we'll be back with Sam um, yeah is there anything else we need to say oh yeah uh, check out the website pickybees.com yeah. Follow us on Twitter at Picky Bastards, capital P, capital B, and all of that stuff. And Facebook. Yeah. And Facebook at the Picky Bastards. Yes. Thank you. Do I need to mention again that we're not the Bluegrass Band? Don't need to mention that again. Okay. <laughs> but we're not anyway. the Bluegrass Band. Okay, cool. All right. right. Thanks a lot, James. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, see you guys. See you guys. Bye.